Hey Rockville, it's Susan Pittman. I am flying solo this evening. Jamie is out sick, but I am delighted to be here with Zola Shaw. She is running for Rockville City Council. How are you doing, Zola? I'm doing well, Susan. I'm happy to be here. Good, good. We're so good to see you. So, Zola, let's just jump right in. You want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, where you're coming from? Yeah, so I'm Isola Shaw, and I've been living in Rockville for over a decade, mostly in the Twinbrook community, um, and we recently moved to Town Center. Um, and just a quick story, um, after meeting my husband-to-be at Howard University, we bumped into each other again at a Rockville grocery store, um, The Giant, and uh, we got married shortly after that. Uh, so Rockville for me is a really wonderful place to reconnect with uh, very special people and to start a family. Um, and also um, just a bit about my professional background, I'm really uh, driven by a strong sense of service um, and I have a core belief that government uh, can be a vehicle for positive change. So in my professional life I've um, consulted the federal government for 15 years, worked at FEMA, uh, for over a decade, um, and I led a lot of emergency preparedness programs uh, for local, state, and tribal governments. Um, and then I also currently uh, work as a consultant at NIH, and I worked through the pandemic, which was pretty eye-opening. And I worked um, as uh, in multiple boards and commissions, particularly on the county level, um, and um, so, and I also served on the Charter Review Commission here in Rockville, and I know we'll talk some more about that. Yeah, well, we might touch on that. We've got lots to talk about. Um, one thing, Zola, I saw on your website, and it's, uh, isn't it Isola for Progress? Is that? Isola for Progress. Isola for okay. Progress, with the number four. Yeah. Okay. Um, you have one of, one of your top bullets is safety and affordability. So I thought I'd ask you first about safety and what do you mean when you talk about safety and affordability, what's affordable? Because I know in East Rockville when we did our neighborhood survey way back in like 2016 or so, the what's, what's an affordable house was all over the map. So let's tackle safety first and then we'll move on to affordability. So safety to me is public safety. It's very broad. I come from um, having a public health lens. So safety, in addition to what we think of as traditional crime, um, also thinking about housing safety and being and having housing stability. Also, um, in terms of pedestrian safety, bike safety. Um, so it really runs the gamut in terms of what safety is. Um, and also in terms of uh, affordability, you know, knocking on a lot of doors, um, a main concern that I was hearing from folks is about affordability and just the overall cost of living. Um, and, you know, this has been something that has been a part of my platform way before I was running. Um, in 2018, um, I worked in coalition with a number of organizations to raise the minimum wage in the county, thus increasing the minimum wage for Rockville workers. Um, and then, um, and also uh, thinking about um, afford affordable housing, you know, I've also been um, 
I also helped to write the rent stabilization legislation that just passed in the county, and I worked on that for uh, three years. And um, also in terms of voting as well, that's a huge piece in terms of advocating and having agency and sharing what your experience is. Um, and I did, I served as the chair for the uh, voter expansion subcommittee on the Rockville Charter Review Commission. Um, and so my goal was to try to make it easier to vote and have more people vote. In the last election, 70% of our electorate didn't vote. Those are a lot of voices that are not being heard in who they're choosing, who their leader is. Yeah, and you know, as far as safety and affordability goes, when you have 70% of the of the, of eligible voters not voting, that's a huge voice. And in, in as you were saying, it, what makes me feel safe, and what do mm -hmm. I think is affordable, and what is affordable to me? I think with safety, one of the things the next mayor and council will have to continue to monitor and implement is Vision Zero. And that's a big deal here in Rockville. We just had the road diet. It's finishing up in town center. Um, I ride my bike or walk five days a week to my office in town center. Um, so we know it's a big deal. People want it. What are some, what are some things about uh, Vision Zero that uh, are of interest to you or you think we could do a little bit better on? Um, I think we can think a little bit more about how we're including our equity values in Vision Zero. Um, part of Vision Zero is um, traffic enforcement, um, and some people are, um, that can impact different communities in different ways. Um, and so I think it's important to also think about transportation equity um, when we're thinking about enforcement. Yeah, and so with Vision Zero, making sure that it's easy for me to walk to work, right? I'm a middle-aged white lady. I walk through the metro. Nobody bothers me. But I can see where if you are, and sometimes I'm walking, especially in the, in the, when the weather's, you know, when the seasons change, it's dark when mm -hmm. I'm walking to work. So I can see where um, there are communities who would feel, actually feel unsafe, yeah. and not just about being hit by a car, but just feel unsafe walking um, as their mode of transportation. Yeah, and especially the folks that, um, yeah, can't afford a car. Yeah. Um, and, you know, which communities are, are more impacted by that. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And also, I think too. I don't want to. I don't want to get too down in the weeds. But and also, you know, I'm very lucky. I have a professional job here in Rockville. But not everybody is like. Not everybody can walk to work or ride their bike to work right. here in the city of Rockville. And I think that goes to to job creation and uh, making sure we keep businesses here locally and that they're easy to get to and we have safe walkways and pedestrian um, and bike bikeways to get to uh, get to work and I and I think that issue is also tightly connected to affordable housing as well um, you know a lot of communities that are lower income do have longer commutes back to work right um, and so they're more impacted by a lot of these issues yeah definitely you also touched on housing safety and um, I, 
you know, I lived in, I've lived, I've rented, I've rented most of my life um, before, well, yeah, I guess so. I guess I rented at least, I was a renter either as a child or as an adult. Maybe now I've gotten old enough to where it's not most of my life anymore. <laughs> I don't want to forget. Sometimes I forget how old I've gotten. But um, sometimes it is, you know, landlords are of varying uh, care. They they offer varying care to their properties, and it can get unsafe pretty quickly. Do you have any examples of what you worked on in the county to make sure that housing or things that you have in mind for the city of Rockville that would go speak to that? You know, I think overall um, it's about security in terms of being able to have the ability to stay where you live if you want to stay where you live. Um, you know, I've heard a number of stories when we were um, trying to to capture and gather a number of tenant experiences. You know, there are horror stories of molds and rats and infestation. And so safety does include um, having safety in your a safe home and a safe place to live. Um, and then there's also the financial aspect of that as well, where in the psychological aspect of being evicted. Um, and, you know, the, it was pretty difficult during the pandemic in Rockville um, to see a number of families like stuff on the streets and you see kids clothes and you see um, toys on the street Um, and one of the things that um, prompted me to advocate on a hold on temporary rent increases um, was was listening to tenants and um, experiencing uh, seeing evictions, and also in my own personal life, growing up, uh, we, uh, my family experienced a really high rent hike, and we were um, displaced from our community. And that's everything that makes you strong is from your community. You know? Right, right. That's our community should be supporting, be a place of support and familiarity and safety. Um. So. There is a difference between advocacy and governance. And you have been an amazing community advocate for many years, both as a volunteer and a lot of your work experience translates into advocacy on a professional level. How do you see translating all of that amazing advocacy experience into governance if you're elected to city council? Well, I think I would really leverage a lot of my experience as you know, being chair on boards and commissions, and working on the um, the Rockville Charter Review Commission, um, because I, I feel like the boards and commissions are are um, you know a mix of government and a mix of advocacy as well, um, and you know passing and and working on a lot of um, different bills. Um, and working on um, like gathering data and being informed and listening to every side I possibly could um, to help to inform the policy. Because at the end of the day, I really just want to write and, and draft and um, pass really good policy. Um, so I know that includes 
really deep community engagement and hearing and listening to different voices as well as being informed and looking at like one of the things that we did in the Rockville Charter Review Commission is we looked at different jurisdictions and different case studies from juris different jurisdictions and seeing the outcomes and trying to relate it as much as we could to Rockville and recognizing some differences. Um, but really to help to predict like what is going to be the best outcome from these policies. And I think that is the, the, the implementation piece in governing. Right, right. Advocacy, you get the law passed, but governance, you really have to put the law into action and monitor it and adjust. So that, that really lends itself to, um, it made me think of a quote I saw on your website. Um, you say, we must reimagine how our city conducts community engagement. So talk about that. You were talking, you, you said some things I, when you were talking about um, advocacy to governance that made me think of that quote. Um, yeah, when I, was, when I was speaking about that, I was thinking about um, like a co-governance model where you have a lot of deep community engagement with government. Um, to create really good policies. And a good example of that is the rent stabilization policy that happened in the county. Um, so a number of organizations, a number of community members, a number of tenant associations um, across a number of labor unions um, got together and we were in a basement and we worked on drafting a bill of what our communities needed and we didn't all agree right we um <laughs> we had different views we we had different numbers in terms of a rent cap um but we worked together to craft and draft policy that we felt at the end of the day was going to serve our communities, and this is especially coming out of the pandemic, where um, we just saw so much hardship with rent. Um, I, you know, myself, I, I, I experienced a two-digit rent hike, you know, and that's one of the reasons I no longer live in Twinbrook, and I lived in Twinbrook for over a decade. And so, um, I, co-governance is really, and it was, you know, a really grassroots process where it was hardship that led us to what we think about what we need and that we want to create policy to improve our lives. And working with government and community hand in hand, we can create policies like that. When you were doing that, were any of the county uh, council members involved with you? Did they meet with you and were they involved with the process? So we met with a number of county council members throughout the process to share as we went through different versions of the bill of what we wanted to see. Um, and we met with a few county council members throughout that process that later became champions on the HOME Act. Okay. So they were involved. So yeah. They knew what you, you, you didn't just uh, wallop them no. out of the blue. It's like, no, this is what we're doing. Or, okay. Well, good. That's good that they were involved and they knew what was coming. Um, you've talked, you've mentioned rent stabilization, you just mentioned the HOME Act. A um, couple of things about that. Do you want to talk about Rockville? Rockville is not included in the HOME Act. 
do you want to talk about that and and kind of inform us on I don't know that I think it gets confusing sometimes because we're part of Montgomery County but we're also an independent municipality and so things that apply to the county don't apply to us and things that we pass don't apply to the county and I think that can be confusing so do you want to talk about that that is very confusing and actually um, <clears throat> to your point about um, advocacy and governance we are in a stage right now with a coalition um, who helped with the rent stabilization um, informing community members um, there are folks in Rockville that think that this applies and it's really important to educate folks and understand because um, yeah, rent stabilization is very critical in terms of um, predicting your, your finances. So, so this rent stabilization bill does not apply to the city of Rockville or the Gaithers, or Gaithersburg or a number of the municipalities that have independent housing authorities. Um, but with that being said, um, on, I believe it was July 17th, um, the city of Rockville did write a letter opposing rent stabilization. There were a number of um, tenants that did come out and, and speak against it. I was, I was one of them. Um, and, um, you, know, hope, you know, although this is something that the city opposes, how we got there in terms of the rent stabilization uh, bill and, and listening to community members, a number of community members are facing a lot of the same challenges of um, that that community members are facing in the in the county, it's really hard to pay rent, and just um, thinking about like just the struggle in terms of paying rent, um, and and not having a city that and having a city that is opposing rent stabilization, um, is is in a lot of ways not really valuing what renters are are experiencing and being um you know the only renter in the race i i do want to bridge that gap yeah and you give the statistic on your website how what percentage of people in rockville are renters so um 45 percent 45 percent that's breathtaking and that how did you where'd you get that number so that is from the 2020 census okay um <clears throat> so it could be more now yeah it could be more yeah um what so as you're talking i'm thinking a good thing to do would be one to what is rent stabilization mm -hmm. what does that mean and if the home act were to apply to rockville what are some of the just big nuggets that would apply i mean we you don't have to get too down in the weeds mm -hmm. about all that but what are some of the overarching themes that would or or um uh parts of that bill that would apply so the, the name did change from the Home Act to, um, it's called the Rent Stabilization Bill. Oh, it did get changed. Okay. It kept, kept okay. it simple. Um, and so what that really means is um, that there, for this bill, because there is different uh, rent stabilization bills around the country, uh, for, for this bill what this means is that um, uh, there is a rent cap of 6% on um annually six a six percent raise in the rent yeah but it doesn't give rent cannot exceed this many dollars and that no. kind of thing it's okay. just based on your current rent um it can't exceed more than six percent when you get your next lease or 
basically, yeah, your next lease. Um, and also, you know, this, this bill was a compromise. Um, originally, tenants were going for 3%. Um, there was another bill um, where it was about 15%. Um, and so uh, it was a compromise around the 6%. Um, and um, also, uh, if there is any new development or new construction, that is exempt from rent stabilization for 23 years. I have a question about that because it seems like just about the time when your apartment buildings turn into a real shithole, <laughs> they're going to stabilize the rent and use that as a um, as a reason to not maintain it. I mean, can, is there anything in there about you have to continue to maintain the building? I mean, I guess we have just basic public health standards and things like that, but I can see where a landlord would be like, well, I've put as much into this building as I'm going to get out of it. I'm not going to modernize it. I'm not going I'm not going to do anything other than the basics. Well, I think, you know, we're still going to be under our same laws in terms of code enforcement. Sure. Um and 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 tenants are still able to report um their landlords if there are, you know, any conditions, particularly like dangerous conditions. Um but for the most part, um, you know, one of one of the things that we were hearing is that, you know, this this would deter um, new development and this would deter mm-hmm. investment. And so this bill is a compromise in, in making a way for that. That's a, a very understandable. So the process, you go to the people, meet them where they are, mm-hmm. work with them where they are, make sure government's involved, advocacy, to putting it into practice and compromise. Those are some good lessons. Those are some good takeaways. Um, I was on, I was recently on Sunil Desgupta's podcast and he, he's great. He really is. He's so smart and he's, he's just a great person to talk to. We had a wonderful conversation. One of the questions he asked me that was really hard and I think I ended up just throwing my hands in the air and and saying, I just don't know Sunil. I don't know. Um, he was asking me about housing, uh, and I'm on the planning commission and, and care very deeply about neighborhoods and housing. That's that's what my community background is in, um, building community through good policy and, and all that good stuff. So, um, yeah, I said some stuff about you know, we, we need to grow and, and how do we keep things affordable? And we're having that, we're having the same conversation kind of that you and I are having now. And I said something about MPDUs and I, um, being a former teacher, being someone who works in nonprofit, my husband works for, is also a former teacher and works for the government. MPDUs, um, I've never lived in one. They were not available where I used to live. And, um, we, we, got in and, and got very lucky uh, and found a house to buy when we got here 10 years ago. But I have a real soft spot for them, for our teachers and our police officers and nonprofit professionals who are struggling to break into the housing market. Um, and I said something about 
you know, I think we need more. And he pushed back on that. And he said, you know, what developers do is they just jack up the retail rates on everybody else when you build more MPDUs. So how do you get around that? And I think we came to the conclusion that we were not going to solve that problem and that you have to do all of it. You have to, you know, you've got to build all kinds of different, you have to build different kinds of housing and you have to build more housing. What is your take on that? Now that I've talked about myself, I'm sorry, Zola. I didn't mean to, I get, I get a little fiery sometimes when we talk about this, but what, what are your thoughts on that? And what, what, uh, how would you answer that question? Well, Susan, I agree. We need all of it. Um, so we need more housing at different price points. Um, and we also need to have more NPDUs. I do actually agree with that. We also need to look at preserving um, the current number of affordable housing units that we do have. Um, and then also um, within the context of rent stabilization and looking at, at Rockville having rent stabilization, some of these issues would be solved because um, with rent stabilization, tenants are better able to predict um, what their next um, rent increase will be. Um, and they're also, and, and landlords don't always have to, to increase it, whatever the rent cap is. Like they, um, you know, that, that's the highest. Um, you know, they're, they're probably going to do whatever, you know, fits best for their, their property. Um, but with rent stabilization, and it being a blanket bill, like it's for everybody, you know, you, it's not just low income folks, it's folks that, um, of all incomes, you know, and, and again, going back to my, my lived experience of having to have a two digit rent increase and having to get up and move and all the costs associated with that. Um, you know, I think that, and that is the purpose of rent stabilization in terms of like providing stable housing for all. Um, so I, I think we need all of it to tackle the affordable housing crisis. And, you know, and I will also say, I'm, you know, running for office, um, I'm the only renter in the race. And so if we really want to tackle this affordable housing process or crisis, we, we really need a renter at the table. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think with MP, um, with MPDUs, I, I would worry that you, in, you just continue to create another gap, right? A little, the, the gap between, you know, right, right past where the MPDU applies to where affluence kicks in, right? That we just keep making that, we just keep moving the gap up. And I think that's what you're saying is that because rent stabilization applies to everybody and it, it doesn't apply to purchased homes, but then you might also make a link. You can kind of, there's a point where there, there is a convergence between rent and a mortgage usually. So we've had some weird times where, you know, owning a home was drastically less than mm -hmm. renting an apartment, but that's not always the case. So. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a uh, it's an interesting issue, I think, and uh, lots of uh, sub issues in there with redlining and the history of single family neighborhoods and being at you know we have 
three metro stops in the city of Rockville, which mm-hmm. is amazing. You talk about an amenity. That's pretty extraordinary. Um, and we're not going to solve all that tonight as much as we would like to. So switching topics, switching gears. Um, Rob Despirito, the city manager, resigned this week. Uh, and we wish him well. Um, but that leaves a staff, a, a key, the key staff member, it leaves a gap in that. We have a, a you know, that's that's an essential part of our government, that role. And we leave this gap right before an election, mm-hmm. right? And there's been a lot of, you know, we need the current mayor and council to commit to not hiring somebody. I don't know how mayor and council could hire anybody. It's almost Labor Day. They've got the election and then the holidays. I, I just, I don't know how you could do a valid, thoughtful national search for a city manager, just practically speaking, whether this current mayor and council wanted to do it or not. What are your thoughts on that? Should they hold off? Should they go ahead and get the ball rolling and let you guys, let the next mayor and council hire? What should they, what should they do? I do think it's important to get the ball rolling in terms of the hiring process. Um, I also think that the new mayor and council should make this this decision. This is such a significant role for the city. Um, and considering we have an election coming up, um, I do think that the mayor and council, new mayor and council, uh, should make this decision. And you're, you're right. Like logistically, I don't, I don't envision um, the um, ability to hire someone in the next few months. Yeah, it just seems like a, a a fight looking for a 12 pack and a couple of shots. You know what I mean? It's like a reverse engineered bar fight. We <laughs> must not fight about something that's not a fight. Um, and I say you guys, I getting elected. There there are nine of you for six seats, so everyone's chances are actually pretty good this year. You know, congratulations uh, to all of y'all on that. Um, and and it I think too, you know Jamie's talked about this a lot. It's really people are fairly complacent. Like this is not have the fiery feeling that 2019 had in August of 20 August of the last election. Um, people seem relatively happy, I guess, or content with the way things are. I think they're, you know. I don't, it, Jamie has talked a couple of times about people being complacent and the real job of the candidates is to differentiate yourselves from one another and, you know, which, why should you and not one of these other, you know, eight people, you know, who, which of the, which of the three is not going to be able to differentiate themselves in such a way as to, as to win. So I think that's an interesting thing. It is an interesting task. It's, it is very, it has a very different feel than 2019 had. Yeah, the way, you know, I would differentiate myself, um, you know, based on knocking on a lot of doors, housing affordability is a major issue that I'm hearing. And I am the only renter in this race. And, um, you know, like I shared before, you know, 45% of our city are renters. And there is zero representation on the mayor and council. Um, and there is very little representation on boards and commissions that advise the mayor and council. Um, and 
I am not, it, it is impossible to solve an affordable housing crisis um, not having renters at the table. Um, and then, because renters are, you know, there's, we're a very, a very diverse group, um, but we do, you know, understand that we know, we don't know what our next lease is going to be. We don't know what the next rent hike is going to be. Um, and so having the understanding of a renter and bringing that lens is really important. And that's, that's how I can differentiate myself. Um, I will also share, you know, I am the only woman of color in this race, in the council race. Mm -hmm. um, and as our city talks about and has commitments towards advancing equity for everyone, um, you know, I can, as an equity practitioner in my job at NIH and focusing on health disparities um, and, and doing a lot of work on this in terms of the county, um, serving on the Racial Equity and Social Justice Advisory Committee, um, and advising the county executive and county council and county agencies on this, um, I can bring a lot of those words into practice. What do you say to people who make the argument that renters are not, um, that they're transient and that they're not as engaged and don't want to be? and don't uh, commit to the city, or not as committed to the city. And so they shouldn't have as much of a voice. What do you, what is your counter to that? Well, renters, um, renters pay taxes. It is in our rent. Um, and also, you know, that that's, that's just not true. <laughs> not true. Um, you, but you hear people say it, right? right? Do you? you know, I, yeah, I'm sure you've heard people say that. And renters are very invested in their community. And the transient piece, for the most part, comes from the fact that of, it's connected to affordability. And also, we're a city that prides itself on its diversity. And, uh, you know, it, us being diverse is directly connected to our affordable housing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's it's not easy to buy a house. It's a no. lot of money. It's a, it's a, to, to me, it's a bigger commitment to buy a house than it is. Like that, that to me is would, and I don't. What am I trying to say here? That would make people leave first, right? Like, oh, I can't buy a house here. I'm out. Mm -hmm. Not, oh, you know, there's a really cool town center and these really cool apartments at Congressional and really, you know cool rent houses. We, we had a, a rent house for a little bit and we couldn't sell our old house kind of accidentally. We're landlords for a few years. You know, there are, it, it almost seems like it's in a, in a way easier to rent and commit because you can afford the rent. You can't afford a house. And so you leave. If that makes sense yes, for some people, that might be some. It, it does make sense. And a number of renters are trying to buy houses yeah, here right, right now, and they right. literally can't, and you can't afford it. Right, it's crazy. It's gotten so bad over the last five five years or so. It's gotten and really they, bad. And they, they want to stay here. They want to raise a family here, and they right. can't. Right. Um, nobody's asked you about the deer? No one has asked me about the deer. God. <laughs> how ready I was for affordable housing questions in 2019 I knock on my first door and it's like I just want to know what you're going to do about the deer yeah. wow 
it's a different time. Um, okay, you're you are very busy. You have a full time job. You got a you got your husband. You are so busy in the community. Um, one of the things I've always struggled with, is, and I've always worked full time, and mm-hmm. did, at one point did consulting on the side, and my husband works full time and used to work. You know, we both worked one and a half jobs before we had a, our son's out of the house, but we had a baby for you know, 18 years living at home. What do you say to people who are like, oh, I'm just too busy. I I just really can't take anything on right now. And they're not involved. You know what I mean? Like they have, they're, they're concerned about the city, but they're not taking that extra step to join that, join a board or join a commission or, um, send, even sometimes it's hard just to get people to email mayor and council with an opinion. It's like, you've got an opinion. You just complained to me about it for a, a couple minutes. And so how, what do you, how do we do that? How do we get more people involved? You know, I think we do need to recognize, um, that the majority of people do work and have hectic, um, lives and a lot of different commitments and priorities. Um, you know, one of the things that we did on the Montgomery County Racial Equity and Social Justice Advisory Committee and understanding that um, particularly a lot of working people don't have time or resources um, to serve on a board and committee was actually compensating them for their time um, on, on this advisory committee. And because we did not want finances to be a barrier um, to serving and sharing your voice. And oftentimes it is. You know, the folks that, that are able to, um, you know, testify, me being one of them, are in a position to being able to testify. Right, right. <laughs> um, and, you know, and then, the, you know, there's a number of language barriers. There's a number of ways in which we can think beyond coming to um, a mayor and council meeting and testifying or giving out a survey in terms of engagement. Um, You know, recently there was a um, town center reimagine session Mm -hmm. to go through the master plan and this was organized by um, our planning department. And it was really, it was really fun and very innovative and very um, interactive and we broke up into different groups. Um, and we visioned together, and it was also building community. And that's a really good model that we can take and build upon. Um, I would like to do that as a council member. Um, And I also, in stark contrast, went to a a landlord and tenant uh, webinar um, that was in the middle of the day, middle of work day, Um, and... uh, you couldn't see who was on, and um, you just kind of could just listen and then put your question in, and that was it. And maybe your question got answered. Um, and you know, thinking about how a lot of tenants and renters make up such a huge part of the population, but are yet sorely underrepresented. Um, you know, this I, I saw it was a missed opportunity. Although you know, I was really happy we were. Um, the city was sharing resources, um, but you know we could just do so much more, Susan, in, in engaging community members 
and and building community while we're doing it. Yeah, a good process tightens the weave of a community. It really does. We saw that here in East Rockville with the Stone Street Plan and the Neighborhood Design Guidelines and the Neighborhood Plan. And, and I say Neighborhood Design Guidelines. It's a terrible name for what, what we ended up with because it's more of um, uh, don't be a jerk. Please don't be it. It's like please don't be a jerk is really what it is. There's not that many musts and shalls. It's a lot of hey, it'd be really cool if you did it this way. And it's intended to, and it gives a lot of carrots where it's like if you put in permeable pavement, your driveway can be two feet bigger or whatever whatever the measurement was. So it's a lot of carrots for, for doing things and a lot of pleases. Please don't be a jerk. But yeah, it, it to your point, it can build, you can get actual work done while building community and uh, yeah and it's really and you're right I think that those kinds of things would maybe get people to get more involved and you know another thing like I remember all of the names of the folks I was at Mm, (laughs) my workout my my, um, breakout group yeah 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 you meet people that's fun too so what does Rockville get right well you know I think that was that was one example. Um, also, there was a walking town hall mm-hmm. um, where you had community members being able to point out certain things in their neighborhoods and um, voice their concerns directly to mayor and council and, and senior staff. Um, and I think that is also a way that we could um, just get some more community engagement. Um, we need to do way more of them. Um, so I, I think, you know, overall, um, the city has the best intentions, um, but really practicing um, this type of deep community engagement is what's needed. And that's that's what I want to build on. Yeah, yeah, we've got a great foundation here. Rockville's pretty special. Okay, here's the big question of the night. Be eating out anywhere good lately? Um, let me see. I, uh, it's a restaurant called Authentic Thai Cuisine. It's not, that's the name. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's on Hungerford Drive. It's the best Thai food. It's oh a little gosh. place. And mm-hmm. it's, it's like the best Thai food. All right, I'm going to try it. We haven't eaten. Everything is good. Everything's good. That's good to know. We love Thai food. We, we have... I have. I don't mean to complain about work, but I have been working a lot of hours, and so um, I spend a lot of lunch times at Dawson's Hot Bar. The Dawson's Hot Bar is really good. I especially like Indian food Thursday. Oh, it's really good. Um, I try to pretend like I don't. Like I'll see the same people there. It's like no, I didn't come here yesterday as as well. I did not, but I did. So most of my eating out lately has been at the Dawson's. Mm-hmm at Dawson's at that bar. It's I will try it. Highly recommend it. It's quite good. They have a lot of good vegetarian options and an excellent salad bar. I've been to their deli and that's really good. Oh, their sandwiches are yeah. really good. I they they seem they're very large and they seem it's like I can't I just can't have this many calories. I have a desk job. I can't eat all this, but their breakfast sandwiches are especially good too. Mm-hmm. But they're really good, yeah. Um the other place we ate 
the beginning of the summer that I think we've, we've been talking about going back to is the Jamaican restaurant here on Hungerford next to York Cream, York Ice Cream. What's it called? Island Par- Island Pride. Island Pride. It's really good. Very homey and very delicious. What do you like there? Um, I don't know what we had. I think David had oxtail mm. stew and I had some kind of chicken. It was amazing. I'll definitely try that. Yeah, you should try it. It's, I think, and I don't, yeah, they don't have a whole lot of, it's, it's, they have a, it's a smaller menu. It was great. Mm. But good vegetables as well. Zola, what a treat. Thanks for spending time with me, and I'm sorry Jamie missed out on this. Sort of. Maybe I'm not really that sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Susan, for having me. I really enjoyed my time here. Oh, good. Thank you, and good luck in the council race. Thank you.